Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are Maroon and Gold, a podcast featuring me, Chandler Alsbecker. And me, Aaron Williams. Aaron, I don't know if you taught it this week, but there is Sturgill Simpson content in the world. I, I saw that. I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, on one hand, I'm completely surprised because anytime there's a Sturgill appearance in the wild, it, it is a cause for celebrate or cause for cause for note and or celebration and or a small a small bit of melancholy. But I will say the fact this this is how it tends to be a random one off for a movie and or show, right? <laughs> He had a very, very tiny role in like episode two or three of this season of The Righteous Gemstones, uh, where he had one line. And uh, on this this week's episode, they expanded that role a good bit. And I don't expect we'll see him beyond this season. He's, you know, very much just being one of those characters that shows up for one season. But they had him seen because if you have Sturgill Simpson, yeah, you have him well. seen uh, and his voice sounds pretty great. It's good to know. It's always good to re- it's always reassuring to know that that Sturgill is out there, out there somewhere. Our 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 alt country savior, if you will. Most uh, certainly, he's saying uh, all the gold in California. I don't know the history of that, but it's a gospel-y song. the The official credit was um, to like the characters in the show, so it was it was Brother Marshall the choir of fire mm. uh, if you're looking for it on any streaming services but it's solid and uh also just in general watch uh the righteous gemstones because it's a really good show very funny i i thought this week's episode was one of the best i've ever done so uh, well, i got i got i got a season of catching up to do i guess um, yeah three seasons of catching up to do i got three seasons of catching up to do absolutely what i was gonna say is i feel like I feel like gospel is like that is very much I feel like that's that's the next Sturgill album because you basically you had the the outlaw country you had the psychedelic country you had the country soul you had the rock and roll blowout you had the three bluegrass albums including the one that included kind of very traditional elements um, and I think all of that to say is that he's a man who really doesn't really doesn't repeat himself much um, unless he's recording a bluegrass album. But I think there's a, I think there's a natural progression potentially from southern gospel, southern acapella. More than the, I mean, I'm thinking the one song specifically on the last on the last on Dude and Juanita, but um, from bluegrass basically and southern acoustic music to to gospel and old time old time gospel music. So you know if he ever wants to go in that direction, he has a he has supporter. I don't know if this song sounds like that at all, but uh, if it does, you know, that's just lends credence to my credibility to my argument. Well, I'm not the uh, the biggest gospel fan, but uh, I'm becoming a pretty significant fan of Sturgill Simpson, and I'll, I'll follow him down whatever path he may go. So. I'll, I'll, I'll buy the EDM album. I'll buy the... <laughs> I would definitely buy the heavy metal Sturgill album. I oh yeah, definitely yeah. But yeah, yeah, man, man, cannot be, cannot be pinned down. We'll we'll keep an eye out for any additional Sturgill appearances in whatever form that may be. Was this the show that there were other were there other all country appearances on the show? Was like was this the one that like Jason Isbell was in? I, I don't remember for certain, but 
I don't think Jason Isbell has appeared in the show. Uh, he might have tweeted about it. Sense. But he and Sturgill are going to be in the next Scorsese movie. That might be what I'm thinking of. That's probably what I'm thinking of, actually. Um, but Jennifer Nettles is in this. Who I, I have no idea, like, her musical background. I just know she is a musician and she's in this show. But uh, just looking through any recurring characters. Oh, she's in the band Sugarland, apparently. Good to know. Oh, yeah. Joe Jonas was himself in season two. That was interesting. Himself. It was it was he, he didn't like he didn't like do any song or dance numbers. And obviously he's not alt country, but he, he had he just was a, a character of himself. It was, it, was, it was amusing. If you watch the show, you will hopefully find it amusing as well. All right. I'll put it on put it on my list. My my ever ever expanding list of shows to watch. It is only ever expanding because I don't watch any. <laughs> um well you did watch a movie recently, I understand. Yes, yes I watched watched multiple movies in fact. <laughs> multiple very zeitgeisty movies. Uh well well we we can start with the one that I also went and saw. The, the the one that I have any interest in talking about. Um, although first I do need. So you mentioned that there's a Damien Gerardo song in the previews that you saw. Yes, yes, yes. Speaking of Oppenheimer, for the record. Yes, yes. In the previews, there was a movie. I'm gonna look up the title right now. Uh, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a podcast if I had done my research before. <laughs> um, as it's the Oppenheimer, it, what is it? No, it's the the boarding school movie preview. It was some movie about a boarding school. You see, Saint Anthony, Maine. We didn't get that. Didn't that. get the full shebang. No, we we. Uh, I, I went for the early showing on Thursday before it was officially out. Um, and uh, yeah, they. I I. I there was a, a horror preview. There was a um, Casey Affleck and um, Walton Goggins movie that was like a semi-biopic thing about these two brothers who made an album in the 70s that got big, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but like only after the fact. And there was like one other thing that I don't remember. No Damien Gerardo that I could readily identify. Was the movie is called The Holdovers. It stars Paul Giamatti and maybe other people that I probably should remember, but again, don't watch enough movies to really put my put my put my finger on. Um, it's a movie about like a like a boarding school of some sort and like a kid who um, I don't know, doesn't have parents or something, and the, there's a teacher who's kind of a hard ass that uh, I guess they become friends and learn more about learn more about the world and each other and, and all that and all that all that good stuff like on like a winter break when other people aren't at the school, um, you know he's like a troublemaker and then you know uh, that's that's what I got from it anyway, uh, but there was a Damien Gerardo song in there, I think it was Silver Joy I think is what this this YouTube thing says so I am inclined to uh, I am inclined to believe it. But it was definitely it was definitely a Damien Gerardo song that I had heard, and so I think Silver Joy probably is is if this is to be believed. Anyway, <laughs> that's, uh, that's segue. Yeah, that's the segue. Uh, so we're we're I mean, I don't really have any sort of plan, but just like it is something you and I have both done, so therefore yep. it's something we can talk about. We're we're, we're starting football stuff like next time we can. Promise, yeah, like, promise. You can do it on my blog if you want. 
early football stuff. Uh, I've already got the first preview up on the Gophers receivers, but for now we're still in summer mode. The next time we talk, we're going to be halfway still in summer mode too, because we'll have a concert to talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, for now, we're we're just gonna, you know, shoot the breeze, as they say. Yes. And um, yes, you know, I've seen, with the exception of Tenet, every other Christopher Nolan movie. Oh wow. Uh, that's 11 of 12. Oh my goodness. Uh, that's reasonable. That's like a, I mean, that's, a, that's, you know, he's been around a long time. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's not a crazy feat. It's cool though. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's easy because, you know, he only does it every couple of years and it's not, it's not like having to catch up on everything Scorsese has ever made. And I don't think he'll ever do that. Or the Simpsons. Well, yes, that too. <laughs> My friend tried to do once. Well, your your friend was probably misguided. He wants uh, to do that. So uh, I guess just you know, did you like Oppenheimer? I did. Everybody talks about the sound design and the um just how 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 big and how dynamic the sound was and how cool it was and how they managed that. And I'm here to tell you that was very true. <laughs> I thought I thought it looked and sounded uh, sound looked looked and sounded great. There were a lot of really crazy, awesome, cool sequences. Um, yeah, I, I, I liked it. Again, the the intensity I think was the defining the defining feel um, for a three hour movie. I thought it, it was pretty reasonably like paced in that I enjoyed myself throughout. Um, you know, there were some sort of I don't know. It was you know. I don't know if it was like ten, ten out of ten, all heat, no no filler. But again, to use music terms. But I don't know. I thought most of it was pretty engaging, and I I felt like I learned a lot. I mean, with movies, it's always like you know you know they're taking some liberties somewhere. So I you know I probably I probably have to go back and listen to the Dan Carlin hardcore history or re, or God forbid read a book um, about Oppenheimer too. Such know, as the book it, this movie is based off of. Yes, yes, one one of them. Uh, to fully sort of grasp the um, the accuracy and the um, I don't know just the 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 full the full history of it, but I thought it was really interesting. I I didn't know I didn't know really anything about him. I mean I knew you know I knew he was the bomb guy. You know I knew about the Manhattan Project. Obviously this is what they teach you in school, but I didn't know the details of it. I didn't know all like the crazy New Mexico, we're going to build a town in like a, two months and we're going <laughs> to recruit. Every, I mean, if, like, of course it happened. I mean, it makes sense that they did it the way they did. And they explained some of that. But like that whole sequence, I didn't know about sort of his past, his, his, his background. Um, certainly didn't know anything about the, um, you know, the the post, post-war sort of, um, you know, campaigning against him. Um, or anything like that. I mean, the, the, the whole, you know, kind of the back half of the movie, I, that was all new to me. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm rambling, but I, I thought it was really good. Like I said, I thought it was really intense. I thought it was pretty engaging. I thought it was dynamic. I thought the performances were fantastic. You know, I, I would I would recommend it, I'd say. Those are my initial thoughts, at least. I, in general, agree. I, I do disagree with a couple of the points you brought up, but I, I can get there in, in a moment. I... Thought it was very good. I thought the, the the middle two hours were a very high level movie. As someone who like you know I, I'm a slightly reformed World War II nerd, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last summer I was really craving a Manhattan Project documentary and I couldn't really find one. So I watched a Modern Marvels episode on it instead, which was, you know, it's solid. If you ever watched Modern Marvels as a youth, you know, Modern Marvels is good, but it not quite as in depth as one was hoping. So I was, you know, probably going back as far as two years was really hope was really looking forward to this movie. And I th- I was also really looking forward to Dunkirk, and I don't think that really met my expectations. I didn't like it as much as a lot of people did. I I, I thought that Christopher Nolan, the way he tells stories, he just like it, it wasn't as absurd in a in a non-linear fashion Dunkirk as like the first Batman he did or like The Prestige or anything like that. Um, but it wasn't just a straightforward story that, you know, I think any normal director would try to tell. And I think it probably would have worked better. And, you know, so you go into an Olin movie and you kind of expect they're not going to tell this in basic A, B, C, D order. And so it, it took me a second naturally to to kind of get, you know, what the, the black and white segments were, what the interview room segments were, what, you know, because mm-hmm. it it's a series of flashbacks and flash forwards and everything. And it's a little, it's a little all over, all over the place, but eventually it settles down. I think the bigger problem more than any sort of like establishing style in the first 30 minutes is we got to establish all these bullet points about his life. We got to establish where he went to school. The, I don't remember her name, but the, the woman he was involved with before he got married getting into Berkeley, all the different communists and ex-communists in his life, the, you know, getting recruited to the Manhattan Project, like all of the things that they were discussing were essential, but it was just like really fast paced, I thought. Yeah. And also kind of, you know, not that Christopher Nolan is an outstanding writer of dialogue. I think that is one of his weak points, but I thought it was especially stiff in those moments where like the, reading um you know i am become death destroy of worlds you got to make yeah, sure we, we fit that one in here or yeah. you know uh like yes he was jewish but i feel like there's a more seamless way to say by the way he's jewish and that's kind of relevant to building a bomb to fight the nazis so like there are just all these little things that was kind of like we're going too fast and then the back end like you mentioned i i heard a complaint from someone through a different person that like they kind of didn't really pick which framing device they wanted to use of like either the bomb or the post-war stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the post-war stuff, you don't need to throw that out, but there was kind of a point in the last 30 minutes where I thought this movie is still going, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the, like my optimal version of this movie is still probably three hours, maybe a hair shorter, but just like the back end really crawled to me and the front end could have used a bit more room to breathe, you know? So I, I think those needed to be a little bit differently distributed, but you know, now that I've gotten through the complaint section, which is, and those are the main reasons why I don't like, think it's my favorite Nolan movie. I don't like rate it 10 out of 10 like a lot of people seem to but you know i i really like that nolan likes practical effects you know when the bomb blew up it it blew up real good 
Yeah, it did. It do. Uh, I I really love the the super zoom in on the the fire and the smoke and everything. Um, I love the attention to detail on, you know, I, I'm not a physicist, obviously, but like the whole extended silence before the shockwave and the the sound actually gets to you after it blows up blows up in the distance. That was cool. Uh, yeah, and the 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 final shot with the uh the icbms you know that's i was not like gutted like i think was kind of promised in the lead up to the movie that like people wouldn't be able to talk to each other for another two days after watching this movie or whatever but it was effective at what it was trying to get across and um you know it the idea behind uh the the opening epigraph and the idea of the the prometheus comparison um, with the the title of the book is based on, and then sort of the framing device here is, you know, you you unleash great power for humanity to do with as it sees fit, and uh, you you kind of regret that because it it comes at a great cost, and uh, some could say it tries to make Oppenheimer a martyr for building something that killed a lot of people, and still has the threat of uh, annihilating Earth one day, but like. I think the point of the movie is he recognized, dear God, what, what have I done? You know, that's, yeah. that's very much the point. And I know you can't take it. I mean, it's not an apolitical movie. You can't take it apolitically. But again, it is also it is also a story that on its merits is kind of interesting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like oh, whatever, yeah. the implica- whatever the implications are, um, it's still interesting. So I, I was kind of wondering the moment I, I, I recognized Rami Malek. Surely they didn't cast Rami Malek in this movie to not say anything, but it would be kind of a, a flex if you just got the guy who won Best Actor like two years ago to to be totally uh, silent for the uh, whole movie. And turns out, no, they didn't just do that. But he still had a pretty small role. Yeah. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was very good. I did, too. I didn't honestly. It had been so long since I've seen him in anything. I didn't quite recognize him. Um, when I, I want to, you know, when people said, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr., I was like, oh, that like makes sense. But I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, because again, I didn't read the cast going in, so I wasn't ready expecting him. But yeah, I thought he was fantastic as the, as the, what was this, as the senator, or the, not, yeah, not senator, but soon to be a cabinet member. Yeah, it didn't click for me immediately. Um, but, you know, towards the end, when you start hearing him talk more and you start hearing his, his Downey, cadence it's like oh yes that's him i mean obviously killian murphy is very good at what he does he, yes. he's always been a very good bit player in the uh the previous nolan movies and that's basically all i've seen him in i'm not a peaky blinders watcher yeah i uh, haven't i don't think i've seen him be kind of the centerpiece in anything that i can think of no he, he was a very important character in inception and he was obviously the antagonist in batman begins but those are you know that's a, a completely different level than being yeah. the number one in probably the what's going to be the second highest grossing movie of the year, mm-hmm. if, you know, at least top three or four. So it was a big step and he did a good job. And um, Matt Damon was Matt Damon, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I, I'm I may want to rewatch it just to see if my complaints are valid or if it was just like in the moment feelings but right now uh i think when i did my rankings the other day let me actually just pull it up 
I have Oppenheimer number five, but I could see it being as high as three on my Nolan rankings. What's number one? Interstellar. Okay. Yeah, that was, that was very. I forgot that was Nolan for some reason, even though it is very Nolan-y. <laughs> it's incredibly Nolan-y. Um, but I, I, I really loved in, uh, Interstellar, and I love Inception. Yeah. Did you do the other one? <laughs> I did. I did, and I, I thought it. Was, I actually thought it was very good. I saw Barbie. Um, I don't really have deep thoughts on it, but um, I thought it was like very witty. Um, like the jokes, the jokes are really good. I thought it was relatively insightful in terms of talking about, I mean, you know, about gender politics and I mean, that's kind of what it was, you know, what it was about and gender roles, gender politics, et cetera. Um, I thought it handled it all that very well. Um, but yeah, it was mostly just like, I don't mean to take away from the serious, you know, criticisms and messages that the movie was trying to convey especially like as as a man right it's like it's <laughs> i don't want to be the guy that says, oh that's just that's just funny you know but it was really i was a really i thought it was a, i thought it, i thought it was a really funny movie i thought it was really um well done it was honestly better and the discourse was i think a discourse maybe the wrong word but it was it was at a the commentary i think and the and the, and the quips were at a higher level than i had anticipated I, I thought it would be fine i thought i would like it just because of the you know, it was it was so well received by everybody that saw it. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good. It uh, yeah, I'm struggling to think of any other words that I would use to describe it. But uh, good, good music, <laughs> you know, um, good music, good performances. You know, Will Ferrell was really funny. Uh, Margot Robbie was great. Um, and yeah, Gosling was pretty funny. I mean, his character was really unlikable, but that's OK. That was kind of the point. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you see, I I'm I'm a, a huge Ryan Gosling fan, and I I have not seen that many of his movies. But what what I love about him is is the same thing I love about George Clooney, and I love about Brad Pitt and Burn After Reading. Yeah. Um, is right. like they're as close as we still get to the idea of like a traditional like Hollywood leading man type, you know, and they have absolutely no qualms about yeah. being a complete fool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's, I, I would say the same. It's been long been my, my, my thing that I love most about Brad Pitt. And I again, haven't seen as many Gosling movies. I've seen some of them not for a while, I guess, but Brad Pitt, like you said, and like Gosling and like Clooney, it's like, they're just down for weird shit, you know? And that's, that's just fundamentally, that's awesome. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, the fact that, like you said, I'm just kind of restating what you said, but um, the idea that they could be so, you know, so conventionally attractive, so successful, so A-list, so just do whatever prestige thing I want to do. Like they don't there's no reason there's no reason they have to take those roles other than just they just want to do it because it's fun. And that's. That's awesome. And I'm sure I'm sure Ryan got I mean, this is this is going to be, the, again, the biggest box, you know, of the year. So it's not like it's not like this was, you know, you know, purely a pure a philanthropic endeavor by any means. You know what I mean? It wasn't. A, yeah, I don't know, yeah, it was it wasn't like he's doing this all out of the good of his heart because, you know, for art, artistic, you know, uh, satisfaction. But, uh, yeah, I, th I thought he was really funny. Again, the movie was witty. It was irreverent is a word people would probably use to describe it. A lot of good jokes, a lot of, 
lot of a lot of, a lot of people in it too. Like I said, Will Ferrell and Kate McKinnon and Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and just a million others. I I, I will first ask, did you uh, did you see the Dale Murphy tweet? I do not think so, but there is a possibility that I did. Okay, you know Dale Murphy, right? Um, is he an American former baseball player? Yes, he is an American former baseball player for the, the Braves, uh, two-time NL MVP. All right. Well, I was not aware. I was not aware of him honestly until until I just Googled him on Wikipedia. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, but but he's probably he's probably close to sixty at this point. He who has Wikipedia open on Dale Murphy right now. Uh, his, yeah, his, he's 67 actually. Yeah, his uh, his his Twitter bio says he's proud grandfather of 16. So, um, anyway, but he, he he tweeted just yesterday, quote, loved the Barbie movie. The guys dressed up like Ken doing with their girl, all dressed up in Barbie pink. The guy thinks this will be fun. I'll get to see all these Barbies for a couple hours. Then he leaves after having his masculinity threat slash patriarchy slapped upside the head. That is actually pretty funny. It definitely, it, it def, you know, that's that's probably a pretty real experience for a lot of people. <laughs> Which, like, I'm not gonna see the movie. I'm glad that if a Barbie movie was going to be made, it's the the sort of subversive Greta Gerwig thing. But I'm just, I I, I didn't have it on the bingo card that type of tweet from Dale Murphy of all people, you know. Yeah, and it is. I mean, it is. It is. Um, that is a good word. It is subversive. Um, I would say again, the, the the gender politics, the social criticisms are very, uh, very, very real. Um, I know there's a lot of people that feel. I don't know if anybody actually feels emasculated by it, but I know there's people who are feeling performatively emasculated by it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or 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 threatened or or whatever have you by it. I don't know if there's actually people that again feel like that, but uh, yeah, it was. Uh, was full full of critique. Uh, that is that is that is that that is for sure. I don't again. I don't know really what the ultimate thesis is, um, but I, I liked it. I liked I liked watching it, and it was certainly an interesting pairing with with Oppenheimer. You could say. Now, uh, what what was the order of operations here? Uh, Oppenheimer dinner, Barbie had to be had to be. Could not reverse that would just be I know you said Oppenheimer isn't a movie that, you know, you're going to you're going to sit and not talk to your friends for two days. But, man, it would have been a weird car ride home. (laughs) You know, it would have been heavy. You know, it would have been heavy. I mean, I was thinking about I mean, my thought after Oppenheimer, my again, my peanut brain was thinking about, man, I don't really don't want to give Donald Trump the nuclear codes again, you know, like things like that. And just about the, you know, the mass destruction, the potential for it and the ex- the potential for human extinction and just the heavy themes, you know, <laughs> World War Two, all these very heavy subjects and, the you know, the very intense, uh, you know, cinematography and, and again, sound design. And, uh, you know, I just thought that uh, I thought Oppenheimer first and then to the levity of Barbie made a lot more sense than the levity of Barbie shut down by the overwhelming intensity and brutality of, of Oppenheimer. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I'm sure some people, I'm sure some people did it, but I, I do not envy them. Also, 
I don't want to end on the three-hour movie. You know, like I don't oh, want to yeah. yeah. kind of like an opening act and then a then a then a band, but. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather get the heavy. St- I'd rather you know eat my vegetables first and then then have my ice cream. Yeah. W- whenever I've watched two movies in a night just at home, it's been I'll wrap up a serious one. And it's like, well, I got more time, and you know, like I, I think the last time I did this, I don't I don't think it was the Banshees of Inisherin was the first one, but like something in that vein. And then I yeah. gave it half an hour, and I decided. Let's do Blazing Saddles now, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's we're, all. We're, that's always a good, a good, good time. What I was going to say, the other thing about the strategy of it is that we watched Oppenheimer at 2 and Barbie at 7. I thought that was a good schedule to have it on. You know, I mean, watching two movies and starting at 5, you get pretty worn out by the end. But here, it was just the right amount of time, I thought. It was just the right amount of break in between. Just the right, just the right you know, sort of notes to end on. Yeah, it was... It was it's a good, good, good time. Definitely recommend it. I don't know that it's that 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 particular thing with those particular movies is ever going to be a thing again. In fact, I can say it really won't be. This was the weekend to do it. But you know, if you're considering it, you know, why not? Why not? What do you got to lose? Nobody's judging. Yeah, going to movies is fun. You know. Yes, it's, yes, it is. It is. There are very few times when I feel drawn to go to a movie theater uh, because of what tends to be in theaters like since we became adults, <laughs> you know, the, the, the big theater movies have mostly been like Marvel stuff and star Wars sequels. I, I didn't want to see. And so, you know, when, when we, when we finally have like a big sort of moment where everyone wants to go to the theater and it's obviously Mattel is now, you know, figuring out how to make as many Mattel movies as they can. And that's not good. But I don't think those are going to work, certainly not on the same level as this. And and at the very least, like, you know, Oppenheimer isn't a sequel of anything. Yeah. It's just like a big name director with a big budget and yeah. big stars said, we're going to make a movie. And uh, people were like, yeah, I really they went to a three hour rated R movie. Yeah. You know, and and drove. That's it. great. They liked it. Yeah. So. This is a, a success, and um, I, I look forward to repeating that with uh, Killers of the Flower Moon later this year, the uh, the aforementioned Strasacy movie starring uh, Sergio Simpson and uh, Jason... Um, Isbel. Think, yes, Isbel. I can only think Aldine, and that's not right. Yeah, no, that not. It's definitely not. You've got those boys way mixed up. <laughs> Yeah, the, the problem is which one has been in the news more recently? No, oh, unfortunately. Do you want to dissect those politics or no? I don't think there's much to dissect. I think it's it's pretty right there. Yeah, it's it's right in front of you. Yeah. Well, we've been going for about half an hour. What what do you think we can do to kill ten minutes? Um, geez, I don't know. Um, you got me got me in the spot. I don't know. Um, there was an article about go. I saw there was an article about go for basketball today. I don't know that I have any thoughts on it, but there was an article about the guards who are supposed to be better this year. So yay! How about that? I think what else I've been reading recently. Been reading the uh, the Jay Dilla book. That was awesome, but that's not really relevant to the podcast. Jeez, I don't know. 
Can I, can I talk about the 500-page book I read about the Russian Civil War or no? Oh, yes, please. Yes. What, 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 is, the, what, is, what is the thesis? <laughs> Basically, uh, Bolshevism could have been stopped if, like, any of the opposition had a clue how to do anything. Mm-hmm. That that's the sort of it is like they basically the the, the whites opposing the red. I, I wasn't actually wanting to get into this. It was entirely a joke, but I can yeah. wrap this up in thirty seconds. The the various white forces, whether that's the czar loyalists or the 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 social democrats who realized, oh crap, the Bolsheviks are actually authoritarians and not just you know a little more hard lefty. You know, any anyone opposing. The, the Bolsheviks, they uh, they had a tendency of um, not accepting the help or autonomy of any Eastern European states who uh, wanted independence and also wanted to fight the Bolsheviks, especially like czar loyalists. Like they were like, we, we see Estonia as part of Russia, so why would we accept that Estonia is independent, for example? And then also there was a big problem where both armies just couldn't stop pillaging every city they took. Ah, darn. I hate, you know, I hate it when it gets to the pillaging, you know? Yeah. And so uh, whenever you um, whenever you're sacking every little town you come across, the people aren't going to like you or really be sympathetic towards you, even if the other side is also doing that. Yeah. They're just going to want it all to end. There were some other issues, but. It's almost like I wouldn't want to be anybody caught in the middle of a Russian civil war. <laughs> no, no, that that would be bad. There, I, I, I learned a variety of ways to die while reading this book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them, I would say most of them were very unpleasant. I believe you. Um, often involving blast furnaces or typhoid. <laughs> oh, yuck. Yeah, so... Well, I, I did have a, a, a really dumb prompt that came to mind last week, and I don't know if we have any legs here, but maybe we'll have enough to to get to the end. And that is a real quick question. Imagine you are a reliever okay. on a baseball team. And uh, this is a very basic question where it's, you know, your entrance music, because everyone has a take on that. But specifically... If your goal was to completely demoralize the batter, to completely throw them off their game in a way beyond just the basic, like, inner Sandman, Hell's Bells, you know, Dodge Gen Cut You Down vein, you know, of, of relief picture entrance songs. But, like, mm-hmm. you, want, you want to get the batter as close as possible to weeping when you enter the game. What is your pick? Um, so weeping, so either being moved emotionally somehow in a very short space. Yeah, and obviously relief entrance windows are bigger than like, and the, re- the reason we're doing this instead of a walk-up song is because you have like a minute and a half, you know? Yeah. As opposed to 10 seconds. So I love me some sad songs. Um, I'm trying to think of what would work, something that has an obvious, really sad, emotional hook. What comes to mind to me is every Damien Gerardo song. No, I'm just kidding, but not, but also not kidding. Uh, maybe he has a song called, I think it's called uh, Cola. That, yeah, it's called Cola. It's from the last album on the Maricopa trilogy, I believe. It's Visions of Us on the Land. That just destroys me. Just, just every time. But that's a little more lyrical, and the lyrics are a little more subdued. 
Um, I could also go with the option um, Katie song by Red House Painters, otherwise known as Sun Kill Moon, otherwise known as Mark Koslick. Uh, very canceled, very, very canceled. But um, man, that is a sad, that is a sad, sad song. And there's this line where he's like, can't go with my heart if I can't feel what's in it. And it's like, it's just such a sad, brutally sad song. And it's like six minutes long. But I think there's enough, like, if you got the right excerpt of it, I think it could be really sad. Probably my other go-to sad, I have a lot of go-to sad songs. I listen to a lot of music and I listen to a lot of really sad music. Um, including if you go to my Instagram, my song of the day yesterday was um, John Moreland's You Don't Care For Me Enough To Cry, which I, I think it's too lyrical to be to be a walk up song. Um, I, again, I think people would just talk over it. Um, I think would most of these really. Who am I kidding? But that that guy, that guy has some some sad songs. But what was the one I was thinking of? Not Towns Van Zandt. Oh, yeah, I was going to say my go-to sad song is always Simple Twist of Fate by Bob Dylan. But that song is too, again, too wordy. The sadness is too, like, it has a sad, like, uh, you know, feel at the beginning. But the sadness really plays out over the course of this. Does that make sense? Where it plays out over the course of the song rather than just being like, this is this is vi- sad vibes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think any good sad song often builds you know yes and i think i think the best of them actually do both um really well but i think simple twist of fate specifically is more the leans more towards the lyrics which it's a brutally sad song but um yeah so those are some thoughts again probably wouldn't do towns van zandt even though he's my go-to sad artist um i think he's just a little too lyrical and sort of quippy and i don't think like poncho and lefty you know, it's it's a sad song, especially the acoustic version is very minor key. But yeah, maybe something. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot I could go with there. But those are just a few thoughts, I guess. The song that came to mind when I was thinking about this was Country Feedback by R.E.M., which is, yeah. you know, like a a really, really sad song. But I do think it is also one that I don't think you're getting to the, the, the parts where it sounds like Michael Stipe is like about to break. I don't know if like some of the quieter sad songs that I like, like in regard to stacks or anything like that, or uh, every Damien Gerardo song. I don't know if those necessarily work in, in such a tight window in such a, a wide space. You know, we were talking about, we were talking about, about Bon Iver, you know, patron saint of, 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 of sad millennial music. Yeah. And I do think Holocene while not entirely a completely sad song, is a deeply moving song that presents itself immediately. <laughs> and oh, yeah, lyrics, yeah. I mean, the lyrics matter, but, you know, it's it, they're more it's a little more abstract. And I think that's one where you could get you could get the people weeping right, right from the get go in a pretty in a pretty tight window. I do think Holocene is one of the more upfront and direct Bonavera songs. Yeah. You know, all at once I knew I was not significant you know that's that's and we can actually hear what he's saying (laughs) you know that's that's a little more right there but in general like yeah that that is one that would get right to the point that would get people like you know shaken in the stands um you know because that 
They used a Masters commercial, for God's sakes. <laughs> they, they used it in a Masters commercial? Is that they, what you said? They did several years ago. They did. Oh. It, I don't know why I was watching a Masters commercial, but they definitely used I was like, is that how we see it? Like, it totally was. I mean, like, of course it was. I was not going to mistake it for something else, but... There is yeah. only one Holocene. There's only one Holocene, exactly. Yeah. Creeps wouldn't really work. No, no. Okay. Do you think stacks... Stacks wouldn't work because it's just too quiet, I think. Like, that is one of the most, like, you know, punch-me-straight-in-the-heart songs that's yeah. ever, that I, I've ever run into. But it, it just the quiet acoustic number might just quite work. It, it might see like, in, in that setting, in a full stadium, it might just seem like, like, I don't know how many people in the stadium will actually really hear it, you know, unless you turn it really, really loud. Um, okay, I just Googled saddest songs of all time and had a few thoughts. Um, what about uh, one of my big high school go-to songs, uh, For No One by the Beatles? That's a really sad song. It's a really beautiful song. Or I was thinking, I, I think a lot about Beatles covers, as you know. Um, the Emmylou Harris version of For No One uh, is completely heartbreaking. It is. The, in record. Yeah, yeah. The... Uh, any version, there's a few sad Beatles songs. Um, there's a great Wallace Roney cover of Michelle. Um, it's not totally sad. It wanders a little bit. It wouldn't work for this exercise, but that's a sad, kind of a beautiful, you know, uh, plaintive sort of song. Julia, I'm specifically thinking of the lyrical, f- lyrical yet abstract phrasing of John Schofield when he covers it with Medeski, Martin, and Wood, in all instrumental. That is a very, very sad song. Julia, yeah, that's probably too quiet. Like, that version is too, but yeah. Um, For No One is a very, that's a very good song as well. Just, like, insanely, insanely good. I'd also uh, nominate Emmy Lou Harris's rendition of uh, Hello In There. Yes, yes, that, that, any any version of that song. Now, I gotta ask, now that we're on the con- subject of Emmy Lou, just to bring one more little bit of content. Have you heard Red Dirt Girl? I have not, no. Okay, because that, that one, that'll that'll end you <laughs> this but yeah yeah good 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 stuff yeah i don't know so i think of those i think holocene's a pretty good i think holocene again multiple various damien gerardo songs this is the sad the sad indie i guess is the direction we've headed with this um which i have no qualms with but i think that's more direct than sad country because as again the bigger soundscapes rather than just the the lyrics like I've always said the saddest country song is like He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. But again, that's so lyrical. It doesn't necessarily sound as sad. You know, like you have to get into the lyrics to really process it and get sad about it. So, yeah, good, good prompt. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I I halfway tried. (laughs) So that probably does it for this week. I'm off to Madison for a concert. This will probably go up the morning that I go. And then next week, I'm off to Madison for a concert again. But this time, Aaron's going to be there. Yes, yes. Be crying along to Holocene. Yes, yes. And we will do a podcast live from the middle of Justin Vernon's set. Yeah. Um, So be on the lookout for that. Uh, You know, sadly, I don't think that would be a first. Not for us, but I, I, I feel like that has to have... Someone's done it before, surely. Yeah. I'm sure. So, someone who just doesn't get it has surely po- podcasted yes. from the middle of a concert. 
But when we come back, we'll talk about Bonaver and we'll actually talk about football because it'll be August. Nice. And that's like, you know, I, I, I was I was looking up to see if the Gophers are going to have the jug game on big noon Saturday today. That's the level of like ready we are. It's yeah. it's, it's it's ramped up real quickly. I'm there. I'm ready for football and good. I'm having a good time writing about it. And be good. Yeah, very soon. Very soon we'll be there. But in the meantime, everyone have a good week and a half until we talk again next. And, uh, you know, stay safe. Go see, go see Oppenheimer. Yep, absolutely. See ya.